What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by our friends over at X2 Power. And uh, we are back again. And I'm actually solo from a from a host crew standpoint here tonight, but I am not alone. I am joined here by my good buddies, Mr. Jacob Fouts over here in the top right corner and Mr. Benjamin Nowak here on the bottom. Two guys that are no stranger to the show whatsoever and two guys that I think are going to make for some great conversation tonight because we're going to be talking about the summer to fall transition because we are straight up and we are talking a little bit offline. All three of us, you know, Ben is from the kind of the Northern Midwest being in Michigan. Jacob's down on probably one of the hardest lakes in the country right now in Lake Chickamauga. And I'm up in the Northeast and we're all going through the same transition phase. Obviously Jacob being a little bit further behind because he's more South and it's, it's one of the hardest times of year. And one of the times of year that you kind of almost have to have patience and be strategic in terms of, how you get out in the water and how you approach these fish. So we're going to be pretty excited to, to dive into this stuff really fast before uh, we start diving into everything. Uh, we have a brand new show on the Sirius Angler Network that is launching on Saturday. The trailer for that episode on YouTube and MP3 is going to go up to tomorrow morning. Just a quick uh, kind of episode detailing what this whole new show is going to be about. And we're going to post on social media, so I'm not going to go into it too too deep here. But I hope you guys are excited because it's going to be it's going to be all about fishing tackle. It's going to be pretty sweet because we know we have a lot of tinkers, a lot of people that are super obsessed with fishing tackle. So we're excited to bring this show to you guys. So make sure you guys pay attention to social media. We'll share out the MP3 and the YouTube tomorrow so that you guys can get a better grasp of what the show is going to be about. Because episode one is coming this weekend. So stay stay tuned for that one, but fellas, what's going on? How you guys been? How how's all going old? on, buddy? Lake Chickamauga not treating you too well now, eh? It's typical. Late September, early October, about like usual. Ugh. Getting about <laughs> two bites a day. Pretty fun time. I enjoy it. Oh yeah, that really keeps <laughs> you engaged. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> that is brutal. Ben, it's probably a lot better for you up in Michigan right now. Uh. Yeah, I haven't been fishing as much as I used to. So, I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's great. I've been getting pictures, but yeah. I'm getting pictures. <laughs> I think I think we're pretty much in the middle of late fall and like full blown peak fall fishing right now. So things are popping off. Things are about to go. We just need some stable. Oh, you're like almost there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're kind of we're like almost some. So this is what's interesting. We were talking about this offline before we start, we got on here. And so you're almost to that full blown fall phase. We're like, we're in the heat of transition right now. And, and certain lakes are like there, like right where you're saying, like it's about to pop just a couple more really cold days and cold nights. It should be really good. Um, but we have some lakes, especially some of our finger lakes that get like 300 to 400 foot deep that don't have much for flats in terms of shallows that stay really, they either stay really cold for longer. So it's like a later spawn or this time of year, they take a lot longer to cool down because it's a lot harder for those, or I should say it takes a lot longer for those temperatures to change being that the water is so deep. So you guys have a lot of like smaller glacial lakes or are they all like enormous finger lakes? You guys have some smaller glacial lakes. Oh yeah. Yeah. We got a bunch of like, kind of like, what you call them, like horseshoe lakes or something like that? Like kind of like you're, you look at these giant big finger lakes that take up all the attention on the Google map that you look around the lake and you can see some kind of like little ones that, and those are the best ones to fish. Those little ones, yeah. the dumbest fish in the world. 
and yeah, those are what I've been I've been specifically targeting those this summer because I haven't felt like the, the pleasure boaters were at an all time high this summer for some reason. But uh, those ones are it's actually pretty sick. Like it, it, there's some pretty cool lakes that are kind of untapped, but at least for us, Ben, you know, other no, not with Jacob here that has 1,400 boats per day on Lake Chickamauga, but our fish are a lot a lot dumber than Jacob's fish. So like while oh, we yeah, might say dude. it's tough. It's we can still catch a fish. Is basically what we're getting it. We're not we're not struggling to get a living like Jacob is on like Chickamauga. Dude, it's awful. <laughs> you guys you guys don't know how good you got it. Like, dude, I think our fish are the smartest fish in the in the whole world, dude. They've seen everything for the past eight years. It seems like they get fished for literally every single day of the every single day. And the, dude, they're smart. And if you if you get if you catch a limit this time of year, you were you were doing something. Like what changes between now and like in the spring, right? I mean, these fish get fished for all winter. Why do they bite? Because they have to. Yeah, vulnerable. I I think it's just the you know where they position. They 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 want to get up there and do their do their deal up shallow, and and this time of year they get on that bait that's about that long, and you can't. There's nothing <laughs> you can do to to imitate it. So it's like, yeah, you you know where they are. It, it, they they always get in the same places. It's you know where they are, and it's just. You can't. There's nothing you can throw to to imitate what they're feeding on. It's like you're competing against millions of little bait fish that are an inch long, and it's just they're not going to bite a five inch fluke or a two point eight inch kayak when they can just swim up through a thousand little minnows with their mouth open and catch catch all they want, like a dang whale. <laughs> Pretty much, that's what it's like. Yeah. Ben, we need to introduce Jacob to uh, our buddy Caleb. Because I feel oh, like yeah. Caleb's Caleb just that Bell. sick and twisted dude that loves this time of year when it gets super hard. He's like, dude, when you talk about a tinker, so like you think of a lot of different people that you're like, oh, dang, I never thought about throwing that. They, they think they have some crazy ingenuity. Caleb's that times 10. Like I've never been more blown Caleb's away nuts, in my life yeah. than stepping on the boat with Caleb. It's, and he lives on Chick. He's, he fishes on Chick, right? So he lives on, on Naked Jack where Naked Jack and Chick kind of come together and – uh Man, he comes up with some stuff that I wouldn't even think about up here in Michigan. I would don't need to think about it up here in Michigan. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't have to tinker around too much up here. <laughs> oh man! But so let's start. Let's start diving into uh, this topic. So we're talking about the summer to fall transition, and it's especially important right now because majority of our country is in it. Like we're in the heat of it. Things are extremely tough. Um, I, I'd say I'd, I'd argue to say that the spring to summer transition is way easier to follow than the obviously the summer to fall transition because those fish I feel like are doing 20 different things in the summer because the summertime you can catch fish doing a bunch of different stuff and therefore you're going to have fish going 20 different directions when it leads into the fall time they're all going to relatively come into somewhat the same area come you know the heat of fall but in the midst of getting there, you have fish coming from all over the dang place, which is pretty hard to follow them. So when you notice, when you guys notice, we'll, we'll kind of go around the room here. When the temperatures start falling and you can visibly see that because when you start seeing nighttime temperatures on your, in your weather apps and stuff start to fall, that's kind of like your first sign of it starting to transition to fall. But when that starts becoming consistent and you're seeing it on your graphs in the water, your temperature, your water temps are starting to fall. What kind of moves are you guys making, you know, once you, cause you can, I mean, you guys are, are very talented anglers and you can start seeing the behavior in your fish change as well. 
but like, what are the first moves you guys uh, make? And I'll start with you, Jacob, being at Chickamauga. When you learn that the suck is coming for Chickamauga, what are like some of the first adjustments you might make? So, you know, Tennessee River, summertime, it, that's a, that's a ledge fishing. That's, that's a ledge fishing deal. So when we start getting into that late summer, you know, early fall kind of period, that's kind of where we're in now. We're still, we're still very, very early, early fall. It's just now st- whether we're starting to get some cooler nights, it's not cool by any means. We're only talking low fifties. It's not, it's not cold yet. And we're, you know, it's still in the seventies and eighties during the, during the day. So it's still very early fall, but the fish tend to transition more of the grass. The grass has come up, come up a bunch. Um, you know, not at this time of year, it's, it's matted out for the most part, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not dying yet. It's still very, very thick for the most part there. There's not a bunch of, a bunch of mats they want to get under because they're still, they're all just so choked out. So really I, I, I still try to stay on the main river channel, but they want to be up in the, in the hard, the hard grass line edges. That seems to be the, the easiest place to pick them off. You know, this time of year they're they're kind of wanting to start pushing back, but you know, here they don't start really pushing back until the water starts coming down. They, they, they're very much, they, you know, because we have a winter drawdown, and our chick comes down. I think six, seven feet. You know, right. starting. It, it's it's kind of starting now. It's 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 down probably three quarters of a foot to a foot from summer pool. So typically, when they start drawing the water down, that's when the fish kind of that's when they make their their push to the backs of the pockets and you know, in the drains and ditches. You know, for so for early fall, I try to stay on the main river channel and just try to find a. Uh, you know, a hard grass line. They tend to run, push that bait up into them into that hard grass, and uh, them them hard grass lines. And uh, that's the for me, that's the easiest way I can find to to, to pick them off because they're still they're kind of still everywhere. You can if you want to go out deep, you can catch a few. You can catch a few in the mid range that are suspended, and then you can you can catch a few that are that are really shallow. So they're they're kind of everywhere. But for me, you know, just I try to find a hard grass line out on the main river channel and. You can throw whatever you want. You can throw a topwater down the edge of it. You can punch. You can chatterbait, spinnerbait. You know whatever you whatever you want to whatever whatever you're confident in. Right, dude. That's super intriguing to me. That when they draw the water down, that those fish move further back. Like that, you know, the quote unquote textbook of fishing, right, teaches you that when water falls, the fish push back. Like in terms of like out deeper or towards more the main river, which is, I think this is that's super interesting. Why, why do you think that is that they push further back into the creeks when the water's falling? I just think, I think, I don't think the, cause that, that's where all the bait is. Cause that, I don't think the bait it registers the bait doesn't, the bait doesn't just instantly run out to the, to the main river channel. They kind of, they stay back with it as the water's falling. So as it's coming out, you know, they're still, they still want to be back shallow. So that just kind of, pushes the pushes the bass wherever the, the bait is for the most part it you know once the water starts cooling off it seems like all the bait will go back as far as they can get and then you know as the water's coming they just they follow it out but it's still it's still back back is a back is a relevant term here because it could be you know they want to be as shallow as they can get that could be 10 feet off the main river channel that could be you know 10 hundred yards off the main river main river channel it, you know, it just it depends on how deep how deep of a creek or pocket it is but they they do want to be as shallow as they can get for the most part seems like to me it's right. so interesting to hear him talk because caleb talks about the same like situations right you guys are obviously from chickamauga but you guys break down and see water so much different than we see it up here 
And obviously you guys are fishing massive reservoirs. We're fishing typically natural bodies of water, but it's so interesting to hear you guys talk about fall drawdown and, and all of these, you know, massive grass flats, which we have a little of, but it's very interesting to me. Yeah. I feel like for us in the North, the closest thing that we get to that is like the, uh, the ice out <laughs> when ice out when it's super shallow and it's like waiting for all that snow melt to come down. That's about as close as we get to your guys' water levels fluctuating. We don't have to experience any of that. Like we, that's probably the hardest thing I think for Northern angler to adjust to is one like title stuff, title fisheries, but also like a, like a TVA. I feel like that is super weird. We have to pay so much attention to how much like current they're going to push. And that's one thing you can never obviously control because TVA just is out for tournament anglers. It seems they just like they to see are. the world turn. Yeah. <laughs> but you hit on you hit on one point there that we're going to dive into a little bit uh, here in a second. We're going to touch on some northern smallmouth here first. But you talked about grass. And I think especially uh, – I think I think everywhere. But I think one thing, especially for the, the south that we've learned, we watched Lee Livesey win on Chickamauga towards the fall time where it's concentrating on grass and so specific – grass and we're going to touch on that in a little bit but kind of you know ben for you this time of year especially in regards to to smallmouth i mean what are you know kind of same question what things are you adjusting to what things are you looking for yeah so for me the biggest thing is i'm looking for our fish are going to be everywhere right you're gonna you're gonna still have deep deep smallmouth like the deepest they've ever been all year 30 plus foot of water you're gonna see fish up in six foot of water chasing perch but like for me, the most consistent bite is being able to follow the shallower bait fish. So that'd be like your perch that are pushing up shallow around the grass. That would be like your owl waves that are pushing up shallow around the river mouths. And, and for me, that's the easiest place to target because it's super isolated areas that the bait fish have to get on. Whereas over that deep water, those fish, especially the bait fish, like to really restart really moving. Um, but it's a lot of junk fishing. Like for me, fall transition is like have a bunch of rods on the deck, a drop shot to a medium diving crankbait, like just try to get bites in the boat. Um, and then I can start to really dial it in, but it's like two or three fish in an area and then you shut it off and then you go bounce somewhere else. Cause it's just a lot of junk fishing. Um, and then a lot of moderate depth sort of stuff. So moderate depth grass, moderate depth, um, current breaks and current seams even on the great lakes and then uh i'll bounce deep if i don't feel like they're up shallow that day it just changes so so fast like everything is just constantly in flux and you have fish kind of doing a bunch of different things right yeah i I think it's interesting you know when you talk about great lakes or and there's a bunch of lakes in the north that do it where it's it's an interesting concept and I, i feel like i'm on the bottom of this learning curve when we talk about like lake flip where there could be, you know, one day you, you see them out and you got them in, you know, from an, for an example, like a, a Great Lake standpoint, you got them out there in 40 to 50 foot of water. And then the next day you show up, you can't find them there. Then you realize temperatures are all completely different and they're all in five foot of water, like a literal 12 hour difference. And I think that's super interesting because it's, I feel like that's a really hard concept to, to follow or prepare for. Is there anything yeah. that you found, Ben, that, or is it kind of just taken your, you have to get burned. Like you just have to burn by it a few times. And then you say to yourself, well, okay, 
even though like, cause here's what'll happen is you go out there the night before or the day before and you catch these fish out deep, right? 30 foot of water, water, 64 degrees. You got bait fish everywhere, fish around the boulders. So pretty predictable. Then all of a sudden you get a strong North wind or a Northeast wind. And it turns that water to the extent that the water falls from 63 degrees to like 54 degrees. And all of a sudden your water temps drop. There's like a couple bait fish first thing in the morning and you can trigger some smallmouth like right away like very first morning bite well if you let that stick in your brain the rest of the day you'll spend the rest of your day in 35 foot of water and not register to have to go to like five foot of water and find these fish pushing shallow on our own you know current seams and the biggest thing for me is like i just have to take each day as if it's its own conditions and i know that's so easy for us to say here sitting behind the computer especially when you've had a day where you smash them the day before but like you just have to understand okay summer fish are out here in 35 foot on this isolated boulder field these fall fish want to be around these river mouths and around these shallow flats where they can get up and push bait what are the 10 key spots in between there that i can run real fast and see if they're there and be willing to kind of put some miles on the boat and cover a bunch of water because if you don't like you're just going to get burned so bad by these smallmouth time and time and time again whether it's a glacial lake a great lake um a natural, you know, big bold style body of water like St. Clair, you just have to be willing to drive. Yeah, this is one that's actually super interesting. And and Jacob, I feel like you can speak to this too, could being that you're from originally from Ohio, and so you're you're comfortable with Lake Erie. Um, but th- this is one I, I really wish Andy was on this show because Andy's kind of like that weather geek, like super <laughs> like. I always, I don't even go to my weather apps anymore. I just text Andy asking like what's going on basically because he's just way more in, in depth with it because he's out on the water every day. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. And one thing I, I've actually, I've told him this that I, I would love for him to do like next year as like a full year of guiding being a full year, a full year rotation on the lake is he's obviously always going to be dialed into where the, the heavy concentration of fish are going to be as a guide because you're always trying to put people on, you know, a majority of fish, right? Um, I would love for him to like kind of do like a map plot of like dated, like almost kind of like a per month basis of like where the hot concentrations are. And I feel like that that could be super interesting to then go for and then kind of like figure out a cycle. I feel like that would be kind of interesting. I feel like that's something you could like anybody could do. I, I should say to an extent on on most lakes for for like Chickamauga, it's probably like you got to take one Creek arm and, and then do it because everything else is so completely different on that river. <laughs> but it's, uh, that, that's what, that's the part that's actually really interesting to me is trying to follow these fish and you don't think they can move that much in a day, but it's, it's incredible how much these fish move. Well, like the other big thing, and you guys relate to current a lot, Jacob, but we relate to wind, wind driven current a ton more than I've kind of ever realized except for the past, I guess, four years now, but like you'll get an East wind and those fish will position on the West side of the lake and they'll be pretty, pretty predictable. Well, conversely, when you think you'd want to be fishing the West side of the lake, you get a West wind, they'll position on stuff differently on the East side of the lake. and won't even be over on the West side of the lake. Like it's very interesting. And we're talking great lakes, like massive, massive bodies of water where these fish will just totally move and burn you by like miles mm-hmm. especially when you're talking smallmouth too yeah but I feel, I feel like even like a tva largemouth move a lot where they they always say like 
largemouth don't move very much, but I feel like that is such an asterisk because I feel like there's an exception to that. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, it's <clears throat> they do and they don't. You know, it's all like you guys it's all current driven. You know, you know, a, a day with heavy current will position them in a certain certain place, certain area. Where a day where there's no current, they tend to just just roam and do do whatever they they feel like doing. They're, they're not they're not eating really at that point. They're just they're cruising around because there's nothing to to position them anywhere. They don't they don't have to get out of the current like they do. You know when it's running, they have to get out of that to be able to 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 eat. They're they're like a, a fat lazy human for the most part. They're they're gonna do whatever they can to put themselves in a position where, where it's easiest for them, where they don't gotta gotta do a lot of work. You know it's so it, you know it's they do move a lot and they don't. It, you know it just it depends on. Um, it, it, like, like you guys are saying, it's all current driven here. It really is. You know, they'll, you they'll, just, they'll always still be in the same area, but you know where they're positioned in a certain area. It all depends on a, on the current. When you guys talk about like fall fishing up here, we have a pretty decent fall bite, like a semi predictable fall bite. Do you guys have that, or is it just pretty tough throughout the fall? Yeah, it's we we get about a month period where it's. You might get a bite, you might not. Uh, you know, it it all depends, really. It we we're kind of on the tail end of the the toughest time of year, I think. So you know, once once we start, once we get like a week of of steady cooler weather, that tends to kind of set everything off, and they'll start they'll stop biting, and they'll they'll get where they're supposed to be, and it's it it, it gets fun. But you know, we're kind of still on that. It's still, I still consider it late summer, really, or it's you know still very early fall, so it's still. There's still fish coming from deep. There's, you know, there's been a bunch of fish shallow, and you know, like I said, they've been beat on all year long. So they're they're fairly smart, and it seems like this is the time of year where everyone everyone wants to come down and get in on the frog bite. And it's just it's not wide open yet by any means. We still need some yeah. some, cool, some cooler nights. Too early. Well, so you talked about obviously current being a huge factor, and obviously helping either one concentrate them or just two just getting bites in general. We have a comment here on YouTube uh, from Noble Newton asking uh, what baits you like for fishing the tail races because we obviously know at the tail races if there's current, there's you're going to get bit for the most part. Yeah, you know, it, it all depends on the on the current. Really, if, if the current's running hard, I don't throw anything but a swim bait. Really, just head size depends on how heavy the current is. Obviously, the heavier the current, the heavier the head I'll I'll use. Otherwise, you're not going to fish it, but more times than not, I, I like a swim bait. It just seems like that that gets a lot of bites. You know, that could be a single swim bait and a rig. You know, and, and when the current's not, if it's a, a pretty slack day, I, I like a jig. It seems like that's just tried and true in, in, a, in a tail race. Uh, um, I like a topwater. What kind of swim there, bait you know. are you talking? Uh, I like a Kytec. Size varies really. I throw a, I throw a five five, I believe. When it's five, when they're when, when they're biting it, no, they oh. they chew it. They don't get a good look at it. It just goes by when they try to take it from you. We lost Ben quick, but that's <laughs> oh, we're all good. Okay, um, but yeah, swim bait. I feel like that's one that has gained a lot of popularity, especially with the TVA. Like in terms of, I'm trying to remember who was it that posted a video from. I think it was Wilson. Is it Wilson or Pickwick Dam? This was more, I think, the springtime coming out of winter where the I think they're feeding more water where that hollow belly bite can get kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's a pretty safe bet 
for the toe races. Like, yeah, some it, it, general. That's, that would have been my first pick too. That's always, that's always to say. I like a in the spring, in the winter and spring here. If we get a bunch of a bunch of rain, I really flush in the current, like where it's almost dangerous to be out there. I, you can throw a DT six, and it's you don't need to throw anything else. It's about the most fun you can have. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean. I feel like when you guys just get a heavy rain in general, that's like, hey, time to go fishing, which oh, is like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> which I think that's a good point to touch on too. Is when in this time of year, it's important to take advantage of specific weather patterns because when it's that hard, if you're going to go out, like if you, I'm going to say this, if you're a fair weather fisherman, you are never going to fish in the summer to fall transition ever again in your entire life. If you're willing to go out when it's like horrible, nasty, blowing, raining, you're going to catch, you will catch fish doing that. Maybe not as it's like insanity, like it is like in the heat of fall when you get a blowing day that's, you know, you know, piss pouring rain. Whereas the transition, if you could take advantage of those windows where these weather systems come in, you know, you could definitely get a lot more bites and kind of capitalize. And it's kind of interesting to see bigger fish being caught that time of year too, because of this. That makes sense. Yeah, one hundred percent. I know. I know here for sure. When if it's if we got a cloudy, nasty, rainy day, that's that's when I prefer to be out this time of year. It just seems like you can go out and get bites where where when it's hot and just I wouldn't say hot, but when it's bluebird and sunny and you know it just, they just they don't want to bite. It's just, just yeah. If you're if you're a hunter slash angler that bluebird days are the time of days to be in the tree stand. And when it's nasty, you better be on the lake. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Get your rain suits ready. Cause you're going to need them. Cause the nastier, the better. I mean, you hear that a lot, but I feel like this time of year, it's more important than ever. Um, and it, like when you get the heat of fall, there's, there's certain times where it doesn't matter to the condition that those fish just know as those days are getting shorter, uh, in terms of of light, the amount of hours of light they have, and then the, obviously the temperatures are getting colder. That it might not even matter what condition it is; you're just going to catch them every single cast when you find when you get them found. Um, but really, I feel like this time into almost winter, uh, even which is you know lovely because the colder it gets, the nastier the better. Which is it makes for miserable days, but if you're like it'll pay off if you're catching them. Hey, listen, it ain't measurable if you're catching them. I can promise you forget that's how right, cold you that's are. Right. That's exactly right. How cold you, you can't feel you your are. wrist. That's Dude, right. the worst is like that 40, like at 38 to like 42 degree rain where you can't even feel your wrists. Like your wrists aren't operating and you're just, you're setting the hook into them and you're just trying to hold on to your rod to not lose the rod as you're just wrenching them in every cast. Like you're not even thinking about it, but you're like in pain trying to like reel them in. <laughs> Can't feel nothing. It's right. Everything hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the days that are like, you earned your keep <laughs> and oh, no one else. It. On you deserve water. it. If you yeah. went out there, you deserve it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but so talking about that, especially in terms of like the TVA and kind of like in the South in general. Um, and it really, th- this concept could be transferable to the North. I just feel like our, our window for it is much smaller than your guys's is uh, staying around. When you find healthy grass, that is the place to be in transition and also into the fall, because that's because, I mean, you could probably agree here that when you, the further you get into the fall from a bass fishing standpoint is you want to stay around heat. Where the colder the the I feel like the areas that get colder the fastest are the areas that 
are going to be less productive than the areas that are obviously retaining heat. And I think grass is the biggest proponent of that. Or you could even argue like maybe wooden, wooden docks. Uh, would you agree with that? And then what other, what other points would you add to that? Yeah, definitely. You want to be, you want to keep yourself in the most, most stable, stable areas, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, an area that's got a bunch of grass will tend to be a more stable, stable area compared to, to somewhere that doesn't or somewhere that's got, you know, like a creek that has water running into it. That area will get faster than a, than, than say a main river a grass flat that's got, got a bunch of grass, that area will stay more stable. You know, the thing we run into that I've run into here this year is that they've sprayed a bunch of grass. So, you know, you might have an area that's good and then all of a sudden they spray the grass and you come back and there's, it looks nasty. Everything's dying. So that's, that's our biggest challenge really, you know, has been our biggest challenge this this late summer, early fall is, you know, they've been, they've been spraying the grass areas that I've, caught them in in the past are no good now because there's no grass and and vice versa where areas that have, haven't been good in the past are now good because that's where they didn't spray the grass uh is that new or have they been always no the it, they've been they've spread the grass for several years in a row now it we don't have nearly the grass we used to it's not it's not all because of spraying it's you know when it floods in the spring that rips some out and and stuff like that. It's not all spraying, but spraying definitely has taken has taken a toll on the amount of grass we've had compared to six, seven years ago when I was still in college. The amount of grass we had then compared to what we have now, it's probably half. That's brutal. Yeah, it's not not the best. I I don't. It, I always wonder why they went through all the trouble stocking all the fish in the lake and doing all that, and then all of a sudden we're going to start spraying the grass. And I'm I don't know the facts on who all does it, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to get into any of that. I don't know who does it or how that's contracted or whatever, but it seems like well, I a will push yeah, back. I'll, right. I mean, I hopefully it just doesn't come to the uh, have boats lined up on Lake Gunnersville and don't allow them to spray kind of situation. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully you guys don't have to do that. I mean, I, I love Chickamauga. I know a lot of people hate it. I absolutely love that lake. Uh, for, I don't I would say it's one of my favorite lakes in the world, and it's not even just from a fishing standpoint. It's just that every time I go down, I'm doing something completely different. I will drive 11 hours to go defend that lake if I have to. Dude, <laughs> I don't know why. The The worst thing that's happened to this lake is the pressure. That is, that is taking the biggest biggest toll on the lake more than anything is the amount of pressure this place has had for the last 10 years has been astronomical compared to, you know, compared to the majority of places. You know, it's, it's it's going through a big down cycle, so you know that's that's as expected with this much pressure. You saw what happened to Gunnersville, for example. You know, right. I expect Chick to do the same thing, where it's gonna we're gonna have a few down years, and then all of a sudden it's gonna it's gonna come back. I mean, look at look at Gunnersville right now. Look look at Gunnersville this year and, and the weights that have come out of there this year. That place is as good as it's ever been. Yeah. Well, I so I have two points on that. The first one goes back to the spring thing. I don't think there's a lot of brains behind the people that are doing this. Uh, and I say that because they, I had a guy, I have a guy on GoPro. I'm not going to post it because I don't want to like expose him, but it just makes, it makes for a good conversation of like, they mentioned that they confirmed they're putting pellets in Cayuga, which used to have the most amazing milfoil in it. Apparently there was some hydrilla and that's why they started putting these pellets down. Uh, and I asked this guy, like, does the pellets kill everything? 
like or like is there some way to specifically target one or two species of grass he says well it kills everything where they where they place it he goes so we never you know we heard anglers that are having you know that are kind of clashing in terms of you know putting in the north end because there's this massive north end on the Cayuga, on Cayuga that used to be just a, you know, a huge grass flat with two boating lanes like there was never an issue and all of a sudden next year there's no milfoil or anything to be found whatsoever. And he's like, yeah, I don't get it. We don't put any pellets up there. And I'm sitting there. He's like, yeah, we only put them. We only put them more further down. Like what, you know, where the grass is at. And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, you do know what natural lake current is. Correct. Like the pellets aren't good. They're not lead weights. They're not going to just sit there on the bottom. Like, dude, I've been on that lake for people that know. Cayuga is 48 miles North South straight north south you get any sort of hard north or south wind especially you're talking fall and springtime here those dude you will you could sit on a main lake point on Cayuga and be like that trolling motor on spot lock is going to work because you're sitting in a two to three mile an hour current it is unbelievable the power that that wind driven current has and it's like dude it, it i bet you my bottom dollar but that's why there's no grass up in the north end anymore because all those pellets got pushed up by lake driven current and just are, all the grass is gone. I don't know. That's that's my rant because I could go on this for another hour. So I will. Yeah, you, you yeah, brought dude. spring grass and it triggered an inner like, <laughs> affliction. Like, in me. <laughs> so you know, so here the vast majority of the spraying they do it's around the docks or whatnot, and it's like it's not just going to stay around the docks. That stuff spreads. It's not. It doesn't just right. like you know what I'm staying right here. It's, it's a river. Current, it's, <laughs> it's the Tennessee River. There's current. It's gonna spread. There's nothing you can't stop it. It's not just killing the grass yeah. around the docks. It spreads through the whole lake over time. Like, yeah, like I mentioned, I don't think there's a lot of brains behind who's spraying this. But I will say, so uh, we had a show. It was uh, Rudd was on here, and my buddy Andrew Hayes from the Tackle Talk podcast, and we started talking about this exact subject. And I have Gene Gillen, actually, he texted me. He listened to the show. He's going to come on to talk further about some of this stuff. And the second point he wants to talk about as well, that I was going to touch on, Jacob, with the, the 1,400 boats a day, basically, at Chickamauga. I would love to know the economic impact that you guys receive, like a Dayton or something receives from that, because there's no way that obviously even 50% of those people are local. You know, a lot of those people from out-of-staters or the Ohio Trail that visits there every other year, or every single year, for their championship uh, if they're not destroying our lakes here in New York. Um, <laughs> sorry, shots. Uh, <laughs> oh, <but> easy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I more said that because you're from Ohio. Um, hey, you heard but I'd be, interested to, I'd be super interested to see the economic impact of that and how that's put back into fishing because I feel like Tennessee does do a somewhat decent, and this is a great, Ben, this is like right up Rudd's alley with his new podcast that's coming out. But do you, do you have any insight on that? Do you know if any of that goes back to conservation or anything like that? I th- I want to I want to say it does, but I'm really not the person to ask because I don't pay much attention to it. Well, we'll we'll end rant on that and save that for another episode because that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> but so we were talking about grass, Ben. We started getting into the conversation of because I feel like in the north, as this transition happens, the temperatures drop. I feel like. Up here in the north, we have a much smaller window to capitalize on that dying grass bite and the concentrations of focusing on healthy grass. Whereas 
in the South, it's a little bit more elongated in terms of the window that you can you know, capitalize on that and finding the cheese, as they say, the cheese season, right. Where it holds the most heat, but in the North, what is there any points you want to add to you about just kind of following that? Yeah, off? a little bit. Um, we have a lot of eelgrass starting to show up on the great lakes. And so that's been one of the big things is identifying areas where we have a bunch of eelgrass piling up because that stuff's going to last a lot longer than like your good milfoils or, um, oh man, whatever that grass is called with the big broad leaves on it. Um, oh, let it, or, um, gosh, cabbage. So yeah, cabbage essentially, but that stuff lasts a lot longer. So if you can find any sort of eelgrass, you can basically stay on that bite a lot longer. But for the most part, as soon as our grass starts dying off, I just go straight to the rocks and I go straight to any sort of hard cover. Um, obvious current breaks there's just fish around it all the time it's super easy to find and um, you can run a bunch of it so yeah I'll, that's I'll been my that big too. thing it's like our grass when when you start noticing your grass dying you can check like four different patches and it's all starting to look bad so especially on the great lakes it dies fast mm-hmm. yeah ours does not last long although we do get some grass like we have some lakes here that are like 40 50 foot visibility um, like state championships as well. That lake was one of those. And I was, I had a lot of large mouse cools in, um, it was, um, coontail and 25 foot of water, which is kind of wild. Like they was growing up six, seven feet in 25 foot of water. I saw that pulled up coontails. Like, Oh gosh, this is the That's Holy crazy. land. Yeah. The other that, big thing that we get on, and I don't know if you get on it Bailey, but we have like a really good mud or like rock to sand transition bite that starts to happen starting like it's more late fall pattern where your fish start kind of pushing back mm. off of the first breaks and they get on like a really good rock to sand transition bite. And uh, it's incredible. I mean, they'll just pile up by the hundreds on these fishings. Yeah. So for us, that's more great. Lake type of th- stuff for us. And I, I wish, again, I wish Andy could, could talk on that, but I know for a fact, like, uh, even on Ontario, there's there's specific areas that have that exact transition that are really good at the beginning of fall, especially if you want to go th- just burn an A-rig or something like that. Or a cr- it's, If you want to go crank in the Great Lakes, that's a great time to go crank for smallmouth is on those transitions. Um, but we have, like, we have some interesting times where it gets a lot colder throughout the fall that if you find days, we're, Jacob and I were talking about taking advantage of weather patterns this time of year to your, you know, using them to your advantage. Um, in that when we have some days that get like high sun, a little bit warmer, for some reason, they just crowd that sand. Cause I think that's like, could be gobies and perch stuff taking advantage of that. Cause obviously sand takes in heat a little bit better. That could be their, their way of kind of like feeding grounds. Some more things are getting active on the sand and they kind of just know to come. I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting how specific areas do much better this time of year as temperatures are dropping. And that was the one thing I wanted to talk about too, was the effectiveness of hardcover this time of year more than the rest of the year is like last, like if you like worst case scenario, you can't find them anywhere. You can't find them schooled up on ledges or anything like that. I feel like if you can just find either one healthy grass, I feel like late, you know, bigger laydowns and like wooden docks, those could be, kind of your foolproof solutions to like getting a bite 
Yeah, wood docks. That's like my go-to. If I'm largemouth fishing this time of year and I can't find any decent grass, I'll just go flip every single dock with wood poles that's still on the lake. Like the more dilapidated dock, the better it is. Just because I think it holds fish and it holds heat a little bit better. And like, it's a surefire pattern. Just run down the lake and you can literally say, okay, that dock's going to have one. That dock's going to have one. I'm going to go skip that one. I'm going to probably have a couple on it. Like that's just the way to go when you're largemouth fishing. Yeah, what'd you say, Jacob? Would you agree with that? Yeah, you know, for us, as long as the water's still up, they're they're all they'll be on the they'll be in the grass until until there's no water left for them. And then once you know, once we get to to full winter pool, you know that it concentrates everything. So there's no for us, we don't have any when the water's all the way down. For the most part, we don't have any wood in the water. There's not a lot of rock, so they they get on mud and they get on stumps. Mud more than anything, really. You get on just, mud. They're just in, they're just in the mud. There's no, I don't know how to explain it. They just like they'll be in a ditch mouth. There's nothing there but the ditch mouth. It's just mud, and they'll be that deep sitting in the in the mud. And you catch them, and they've got they've got mud stuck to their chest. <laughs> I don't know about yeah. you, Ben, but I would lose my mind. I'd get off the lake if I figured out they're in the mud. I'd say, okay, I'm out. See you later. <laughs> yeah, we get a sand bite so like you'll have these sand spots especially on like some reservoirs that recently flooded like you'll have these bites where all the grasses start to die off but you'll have like some bad dead grass and then inside on the inside edge turn of it like you'll have a sand spot and it's pretty shallow it's like two to three foot and all of a sudden like fish will just like you'll see them crawling on the sand when you can't get a bite in the grass like you just go run your sand spots hmm it's obviously yeah, it's different than what he's doing, but it's just very interesting to me. Right. They'll just like crawl on that sand. Yeah, that's it's interesting with smallmouth too. I, I feel like smallmouth, I just could be pretty predictable but unpredictable at the same time. Like they'll, they'll, I think they'll always throw you a curveball, which I think is very intriguing. Yeah, dude, that's the most unpredictable fish that swims. Yeah, I'm and I feel like there's a dumbest Jacob. one, which is like, I feel like ah, I, there, there's some times where I feel like this is just more my excuse why I can't find them sometimes, but I just feel like they're just like, they're Dory, or Dor- not Dory. What is their name from uh, Finding Nemo? Yeah, Finding Dory. That's definitely Dory. Dory, Dory? Yeah. oh yeah. I, I wasn't sure if I had the name right. <laughs> I feel like they're smallmouth are like Dory sometimes. They're just like kind of stupid and just doing their own thing, and that's why they're so hard to kind of predict. because they're, they're just... just they, they're just curious, dude. They just they see something. They're like, "Oh, let me go check that out." Like, yeah, that I think what time? I learned from uh, Rob Matsura is I just need to start jumping in in the water, and smallmouth will just magically appear. <laughs> that guy's the best at what he does. I won't take us off on too big of a tangent, but Rob is like um, unreal. I love that guy. He's my spirit yeah. animal. <laughs> Rob is who I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I can aspire to be like anybody. I want to be like Rob. <laughs> Oh, Live on an island in the middle of St. Lawrence River and just swim with smallmouth. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm very so, curious on like what baits do you pick up? Do you have any sneaky baits that you throw this time of year, or do you just kind of stick with tried and true, like the same typical, you know, baits you throw during the fall? Your frog, your swim jig, your swim bait, like just standard stuff. Yeah, standard stuff for the most part. Um, there, there does seem to be a deal 
here anyway that I've noticed where you can throw something like really, really big compared, you know, cause like I said, they get on that bait that's really, really small where you can go completely 360 on them and throw something really big. And that, that, that can, can trigger them for whatever reason, throw a big glide or a big, you know, eight inch mag draft or something like that. Just something really big and obnoxious. It seems like can, can get them to trigger for whatever reason. But, you know, for the most part, I'm throwing, just throwing traditional, traditional stuff, a frog, you know, buzz bait spinner bait chatter bait a jig hurt you know a jig for me more than more than not you know here in a few weeks the buzz bait bite gets gets pretty unreal so i have a hard time putting that down but you know just i don't do anything anything really crazy pretty pretty traditional stuff for me i've always heard weird things like i won't call myself proficient with a buzz bait yet i've been throwing it for Oh my gosh, we lost this Oh no, we like, lost the host. And we're about to be the host. What in the what the heck just happened? <laughs> got you back. I don't know. We about took over your stream from you. What in the world just happened? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Are we back? Are we good? We're back. That was like a second of like what in the world is going on right now. <laughs> good Jake grief. Our eyes got real big. We're like, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, bet it's your show, buddy. Take over. <laughs> What was the last thing you heard? You get pretty. You're pretty proficient with the buzz bait. Oh, I, I, I said the opposite. I am not proficient with the, the buzz bait. <laughs> um, but I've I've always, for some reason, heard from uh, numerous people that when for some reason when things get super super tough, they can always get bit on a buzz bait. You do you think just that being obnoxious with the like with the a buzz bait is? Do you think that is the sole reason why? Just because it's just something crazy that needs to like really provoke these fish? I guess I don't, I, I've never for the life of me can understand why they bite a buzz, but I've never seen anything in the water that even sounds or looks remotely <laughs> like it. Are but, you a clacker guy or just a regular no, buzz guy? No, I'm just a regular clacker, but I make, I make a lot of modifications to mine. Not a lot, but I make a few modifications yeah. to mine. That's cool. Oh, well then the floor is yours. Do tell. It's <laughs> <laughs> nothing crazy. I just take the blade oh, off. God drill the you know drill the the hole where the blade sits on the wire drill that out bigger so it's got more room to to move around and i just crimp the the uh, rivet in place nothing it makes just makes it like a little we're gonna sorry keep going it, it just makes it a little noisier squeaks a lot more that's intriguing i've never heard of this Sounds like uh, our new show. You might need to be a special guest for Jacob when we do our buzzbait show. You know who else loves buzzbaits? It's Caleb. And Caleb, like Chickamauga, has some weird buzzbaits. Like, like weird buzzbaits. He brought them up here, and I'm like, why do you need this? Why can't I just throw regular buzzbait? Uh, this is the part that I struggle so bad with as an angler, not just even just buzzbaits, but like having nine different jerk baits that you throw with different colors in certain situations. Oh I'm like, God. if that's the case, I'm going home. Like, I'm just like, dude, that's how I am, dude. I'm like the most simple fisherman. Like guys are like, have seven different colors, of the same baits on. I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter. It really, like I can count on it one hand the number. I can count on <laughs> one hand the number of times where colors made a difference in my 20, three years no sorry 21 years i've been fishing i can count on one hand the number of times where i'm putting on a different color has significantly changed my the day yeah i carry three colors in like everything and that's it 
and it's all because of water contrast, and that's all that I care about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Simple and stupid, just because that's me. I'm simple and stupid. <laughs> I just don't want another factor I have to consider. Like, right. Caleb, Caleb will tinker, and I've seen it make a difference where he gets like a couple more bites than me, but it could have been mm-hmm. that his jerkbait was a different model with the same color of what I was throwing and just had made a different sound and caught him. Mm-hmm. But he tinkers to the point that it's like too much. Yeah. I will say, I have uh, I have some scheduled hate mail into Caleb tonight because he posted some juicy baits on his YouTube channel that are coming out that I was a little bit salty that he posted. I can't be salty because he's the one that showed me him, but I'm salty <laughs> that he exposed it to the world because he told me not to tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but if you if you aren't following Caleb, he's Bass Quest on YouTube. I highly recommend because uh, if you guys haven't known, Caleb got into a pretty bad accident, and so he has a lot of time on his hands. I guess the time he's taking is exposing all the juice he's figured out in the world. <laughs> I highly yeah. recommend going to watch. He's like, if, if I know it, everyone else can know it too. That's Here right. we go. That's right. <laughs> no, that's just oh, I love That's right. Yeah, he's a sharer of all things, which I, I thought he was keeping that secret. But Hey, listen, um, <laughs> there ain't no secrets anymore. None. Yeah, I think I just – I'm just – oblivious to a lot of things because like i'll get in a boat with caleb and i'm like oh my god fishing's a whole new world like he's got this dude like jake i'm telling you like you we need to introduce you to caleb because i think you really enjoy this guy um but dude this this time of year i feel like is the time of year you have to have the most rods on your deck like you have to have options yeah it's not a day where you're like yeah i'm gonna go throw a jig all day which I mean, that's probably the one bit you could get away with, literally just bringing out and catching fish all day. But like going out, I'm just gonna throw a jerk bait today. You can't do that this time of year. You, they, the conditions change so much throughout like an hourly basis. You got to be able to adjust so fast. Like, and that's going back, Ben. We were talking about how like this time of year more than ever is like if it, it's if it's a if you're a fair weather fisherman, you're not gonna fish this time of year because you're gonna be miserable. Like you need to be able to get the rain suits out and endure some miserable weather if you're going to want to get miserable periods, right? Like you will go three quarters of your day or you'll go like two hours and get three bites or four bites. And then you go like another three hours and not figure it out and get like three or four bites within like 10 minutes. These fish get in these pods that are like this big during the fall transition. And like even the beginning of fall where it's like one cast bite. And when you trigger that school, they'll bite for a little bit and then they'll die and you got to like go. That's one of the, I think the biggest, I guess, learning things that's, that's, you know, really hit me over the past few years is, is you just can't like sit in an area and you can't fish history. Like you just got to have as many spots as you possibly have and just run through as many areas and like, just try to get a bite and then you can start yeah. to settle in, but you can't fish dead water all day. It's just windows. Like, yeah. you know, Jacob talked about, you know, obviously the grass gets better throughout the fall on Chickamauga. And that's where you can really get right with like a frog or punching uh, this time of year or not should say this exact time of year, but as we get further in transition. But I, I bet like Jacob, what that bite probably sucks before 10 a.m. on those days when it gets good. Hey, buddy, it sucks all day long. Well, <laughs> well, what I'm saying when, when that grass bite gets good. It's like it's, it's not good ever. Yeah, it's like, yeah, no. Sorry, Chief. <laughs> Sorry, it's never good. No, it, when it's good, it's good all day long. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, it typically typically it gets good here around late 
mid to late October and then through October, then October through, let's say I've seen it, seen it good all the way to the new year. I've seen it good that long. It can be, you know, it just depends. Typically the best bets late October is when it gets, when it gets gas. So here's my question. Fishing these massive grass bodies of water that I just don't really have much experience on. How do you have confidence in pulling up to like a ginormous flat and like just fishing through it, right? Like are there sweet spots that stay sweet spots from year to year for you? Or is it like you have to go relearn it when the grass grows differently? For me, you got to, you know, it's it's a little different every year. Grass never grows the same two years in a row, but what's what's you know a little easier here for the most part is the fish will give themselves away to you you can drive down the lake and just use your eyes and pull up to a map and look and you'll if if they're in there first you'll hear the if there's if there's going to be fish in there you'll hear the bluegill popping for one and then two if it's a thick mat you'll see where they've you'll see the the holes where they've blown up in the in the mats and then if it's a good mat just go look for all the frog trails in the mat and that's how you know it's a good mat <laughs> but for for me, that. really, you, you just—it's. You it's don't hear lot. people talk about that, though. Yeah, yeah that's no. a really good point. Most all the good mats here get found. There's really not no secrets. If you don't see a bunch of frog trails in the mat, probably not no fish there. Unless you found. Are you talking that's frog so trails like people frogging, or like the legitimate frog trails, like the frogs? No, dude, no, we don't got nothing. We don't got nothing like that. Like, I'm talking Dude. like where people have been in there fishing, like you can see the trails of their frog. Okay, yeah, I, I've heard that. Like, did I? I've I don't know why. Like, I was thinking about this exact thing this past summer. One of those those smaller lakes we were talking about that not many people fish type of deal uh, here in New York. I went and I was. It's like there's this massive duckweed pad flat and everything, and I saw a bunch of trails that were like near the bank where typically the frogs would be hanging. And I noticed I was not getting bit on the edges of this grass throwing a frog, but I could see, I saw frogs kind of up shallow and I noticed like they were leaving like a trail that almost looks exactly like someone casting and frogging through it. And I started just casting strictly only on the bank and started catching them almost every other cast. Uh, That's kind of almost an intriguing thing too, is like, and if I didn't see trails, I wasn't catching, which I thought was kind of an interesting note, which you brought up, which we were talking about two different things, but (laughs) The same thing, I guess, pretty much frog trails. But I don't know. I thought that was actually kind of interesting. Yeah, no, really. It's I just ride down the lake and look at look at the grass with my eyes, and if they're there, they'll you'll see the you'll see the bluegill, or you'll hear the bluegill, or see all the shad, or whatever. Or you'll see them come up come up schooling in the mat. You know, if you if you if you think you're in a good area, just sit there long enough. They'll give themselves away to you. That's a that's a point I was actually wanted to ask you guys too. Is during this time, how much, I mean, probably more Ben, I would say, than, than you, Jacob, but how much time are you spending using your electronics to find fish during this time period than you are just using your kind of, your cues in terms of sight and hearing and all that stuff? For like, me, Jacob, you might, sorry. No, uh, go ahead. You're good. We're, say what you I was just saying. Yeah, you're saying how you're looking, you, you're visually looking down the lake and then getting up and listening for bluegill and then you wouldn't even fish it if there wasn't popping. So sorry, can continue with that. Uh, yeah. I, I, this time of year is the, typically the time of the year where I tend to not use my electronics near as much as I, as I do the rest of the year, the next three months, really, you know, I'm not, I'm not really fishing any deeper than 
five feet for the most part, you know, so, and I'm in, I'm in grass that's thick. So my electronics are basically useless. The only thing I, I really, the only thing I got them on for really is navigation and just you know, getting around. I don't even really need that, but you know, that, I don't, I don't really use it that much. It's all, all sight and sound and using my senses. <laughs> you got to turn them on because you have them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my my spidey senses. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for what me, you, uh, I use my mapping a lot this time of year, more than anything, especially during the fall. I'm looking for like high percentage areas, like transitional areas that are pretty obvious on most good mapping. And then if I go to a lake that doesn't have much good mapping, like it's just kind of generic. We have a lot of really small pothole lakes, a couple hundred acres, thousand acres. Um, then I'll use my electronics to try and identify like high percent areas. But a lot of it's looking at mapping. Um, a lot of it's looking at, you know, isolated pieces of cover. If I know there should be a grass patch here, I might scan it once to make sure the grass is still there. But a lot of it's really just fishing through super high percentage spots real quick. And then I use my forward, um, my live scope quite a bit, uh, especially if I'm fishing thing, you know, over, I would say over like six foot of water. I'm looking at, at my live scope. Okay. Here's here's a question for you, Ben, with the live scope. I've been hearing, and Deacon actually experienced this with Spencer Sheffield when they fished. Sorry, my cat's making a surprise guest appearance. I'm sure. Right yeah, that's here, okay. But, um, the other, he fished a uh, Toyota up on Champlain, and how there's guys that literally would they would run you know using their graphs using their mapping they wouldn't graph it 2d or side imaging they would just get up put their trolling motor on 10 and just pan around with forward and if they don't see him they get back and they motor the next spot is that something that you're utilizing now and is that like a thing i mean i would say more yeah i would say more so than i used to but at the same time there are some areas that you have to fish through especially like I'm talking like really big boulder fields where they're like piled on top of each other. You'll miss some fish. And then when they get like, this is winter. I mean, when I'm talking right now, I'm talking like winter. When they get really tight to bottom, it can get kind of tough, especially in giant okay. boulder fields. I mean, unless you really know what you're looking for and you've been on the spot a handful of times or you can just scan that thing around and be like, there's not supposed to be a boulder there. I mean, like, but beyond that, yeah. I mean, if I'm not seeing fish, I'm, have zero confidence in the area. I'm what the about worst you, about it. I'm so bad. <laughs> Are you seeing that, Jacob? Yeah, dude. Like, it's almost to the point now where, I, like, I'm considering installing, like, you know, putting something at my my console where I can drop a live scope transducer down and never have to just throw it in gear, and I can, you know, look around while I'm idling around looking, like, especially. Especially when we go up north in the summertime for an elite series tournament, where if they're there, you're going to see them. There's no doubt. So it's like I, I hate having to waste waste time. If I see an area that looks good, stop, stand up, scan around. I'd rather just be able to just stay where I'm, you know, stay seated <laughs> and do it that way. But yeah, there's definitely definitely a bunch of guys that that are doing that now. That's kind of almost the way to go. Wow. The hardest part for me is. Uh, identifying different species of fish right so like if i pull up on a good area we get a lot of walleye mixed in with sheephead smallmouth 
that's a, a big struggle for me. But beyond that, I mean, yeah, if I don't see fish on the graph, my confidence level is like very low. Mm. That, so like people are legit ditching 2D inside imaging, like in, in cases yeah, like this? It's not used very – I mean, you'll use side imaging to identify an area that might look good. Might have this isolated boulder field or different size rock, but like I'm not using it to say 100% if there are fish there. Mm-hmm. Even around shallow grass, I mean, my live scope tells me way more than I could trust my side imaging to. Interesting. I still I still use my side down a bunch. 2D, I don't even use anymore. That's a piece of junk, really, essentially, compared <laughs> to everything else. It is. That's the way it is. Oh, that's <laughs> you don't need that. it. It's, it's, it's irrelevant, really. It is. It, it's irrelevant compared to live scope or down scan or side scan. It's, that stuff tells RIP. you what's there. To all the guys listening to this that only have 2D. <laughs> 2D sonar, the only time that I find 2D sonar is super valuable, and uh, I don't even know if I should get this. Uh-oh. When when you get really, really cold, what happens is you get these algae on these deep boulders that will start to die. When the algae starts to die off, then a bunch of gobies and baitfish will get around it. And I'm talking like 40, I would say mid-upper 40 degree range and below this algae will start to die off a bunch of bait fish will get in there and that's when the smallmouth get in there you can only see it on your 2d it shows up like a fuzz and if you don't have that fuzz above your bottom you just won't catch fish there i was muted intriguing i, I like that that's kind of like bait areas because huh. we would drive around and be like man well there's no fuzz here and so we'd like Fish no wouldn't get bit, and then all of a sudden I'd start idling, and I'd be like, "Oh well, shit," because the fuzz is over here now. And then all right. the fish—like I'm not talking a handful of fish—would be on the no fuzz. There would be zero, and then you go over to fuzzy areas, and they were everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's it's right. like it was like night and day, crazy for me. So are you like? I'm sure. If, I'm sure if I were good on 2D or excuse me, down imaging, 2D would mean nothing. But for me, I'm I'm still an apprentice over here. So you like marking stuff in your map like fuzz, no fuzz, fuzz, no fuzz. Uh, no, no, I just I'll just scan it and see if it's there real quick. But you can the tell spot has the Schwartz. It's like. <laughs> it's like if you were looking for perch grass, though. I mean, it sort of looks like that. Right. Yeah, it's just a real short fuzz on everything. Huh. Okay, that's intriguing. So to to end this technology rant, my only issue, I I, I find this fascinating. The how we're, we're progressing as technology advances in terms of our process of finding fish. Uh, personally, I can't live without side imaging. I don't know why. That's just my thing. I can't live without it. But the process of getting up or even like just staying seated like Jacob was talking about and panning around versus using side imaging and all that is there's, there's a bunch of times where I found it's more when the water's really cold that like fish will just magically rise from the bottom where I get worried that like you're missing fish if they're glued to the bottom, if you're panning over, you're not seeing them. Whereas if you just cast a line and they just like magically rise. I mean, you guys know probably what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's only for me when it's real cold though. Like there will be some sort of activity of life in the area, right? I don't necessarily need to know that there's a smallmouth there, but if there's life in the area, I know it's probably a pretty good area. If I think there's smallmouth that should be there, that could be bait fish too. Right. Okay. Intriguing. All right, here you go. Here's a question for the both of you guys, and hopefully this doesn't glitch out when I try to put a comment up again. 
Uh, so Brendan Chapman, Mr. Do It Moles is in the chat. He's asking, schooling fish, top three baits. Jacob, what do you got? Mm, I got a top. I got like a, a walking style top water, uh, a swim bait. And uh, th- I mean, the third one, it could be probably a chatterbait, really. I, I catch a bunch of schooling fish on chatterbait. Okay. Yeah, fish like on the Great Lakes, it doesn't happen much on glacial lakes that so you get many schooling fish. Um, but on like the Great Lakes, to me, it's a crankbait or a jerkbait and then a swimbait, I guess. But like most of my fish are mid to lower column. I mean, they'll be schooling, but you'll see them schooling on your 2D then, or your forward than you would visually. Gotcha. Okay. See, I'd say I'd, I'd put a jerk bait in there, but I just hate throwing one so much. I'm just not going to give it that, <laughs> that time of day. Oh, bait. Oh, okay, so if your school shuts down, but you know that they're still there, how are you going to try and catch those fish? And Ed? I, so I found I've actually been really playing around with, and this goes back to our discussion of like being super simple with baits and like colors and stuff where like they got to eat something in terms of, I, I think a lot of it goes back to motion over color for me, or it's more like how that bait is moving than anything else. Like if I can find a school that'll follow my drop shot, but they won't eat it, I'll downsize the line. And then also that's like my step one. But one thing I found, and this is kind of a little tidbit that I've learned, which is I could get fish to follow drop shot forever and but the, until I started doing this thing where I burn it up as fast as I can, ten feet, and open the bale and let it fall back down again, I found that when I start being really finicky, that's like gets him to eat. Just something really weird. Like I think the fat, like if you can find them, they're following for a while. The more erratic you can get, kind of just like crazy, the better you can like at least get a couple few to kind of trigger. I was trying to get a roll on a blade bait the other day when they would suspend up and they would like follow my my drop shot down. And I didn't have a spoon in the boat. I'd take that blade bait and I'd go, and they would shoot up and like you'd see them dance around it on your tootie, but you jerk it really hard and it'd shoot like mid column. And we're talking like 15 foot off bottom. They'd chase it up and then follow it back down and they just wouldn't touch it. But man, that was a lot of fun to watch them yeah. do. <laughs> Dude, you know when, you know when, like, have you seen how people like will put a Ned rig at the bottom of their drop shot as like their, their weight or whatever? Yeah. I kind of want to try that this, this winter with like, a blade bait and a drop shot and just see how many, cause like they're all schooled up like that. How many fish you can catch. I'll tell you, man, I don't catch them on a drop shot at all. When it starts to get like less than 50 degrees, I have a blade bait, a swim bait. Ned. And I guess a crankbait and maybe a Ned rig, but like, man, that blade bait when is it gets so that powerful. Cold. Dude, that blade bait is so powerful for me. In that crankbait, I don't know what it is, but I can just get them to turn on. Like if they're biting, throw that crankbait out there and still bite it. I'll tell you this: I love over over blade bait. The small jig and spoon is a lot of fun, I and mean, basically the same thing. But when you get them really fired up, where it's every drop, you're catching smallmouth. Then you throw in the six inch mag. Not, I should say mag spoon, but a six inch spoon. That it just you're like you're just getting clobbered on the way down like forty times before one finally gets the the treble. Then it's like automatic. It's just it's just so we're talking fun. about a six inch spoon being like a magnum and Jacob's like, Yeah, oh, we're yeah, small like, mouth. Jacob's like, right, like, like shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob's like shut up. 
If you had a six-inch spoon up here in the north, people saw that on your front deck. They'd be like, "Dude, why you got? Why are you throwing such big baits?" Musky fishing out there. Musky fishing for yeah. sure. Yeah. Catching any walleye? Nope, just a couple of pike. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Oh, it's hilarious. Anything? Anything else in your guys' mind that we're not hitting on for this time of year? Anything to add? Dude, I love. I love looking at my old YouTube videos and hearing me talk about like fall fishing being so easy. And I don't know if it's just the years going on, but it just seems like every year I got to like simplify more and more and more. Like I pick up only a handful of baits now and I like just junk fish the the crap out of the fall. Like to me, the biggest thing is just don't have the expectation. You're going to go out and wreck a hundred fish in the fall especially on one spot, like keep an open mind, be willing to junk fish and simplify everything you can possibly simplify. Yeah. Uh, or that's just because Ben, your channel is so good and you're unlocking all the juice that people are taking. No, your we, just, we just don't fish as much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. That's hilarious. Jacob, anything, anything for you? Is there anything coming yeah, up? That I know. You know about? Tune into the Bass Pro Tour next week. Oh, dude, I got all kinds of openings the next couple months this this fall and winter. So if you guys want to come to Chick and catch some when it finally gets good here in about (laughs) three weeks, y'all hit me up. Probably not right now when Jacob's like, yeah, I'm getting two bites a day. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I I wouldn't wish that on no one. (laughs) Well, uh, Jacob's social media. Bass open next week at Hartwell. I'm gonna jump in that sucker. I'm gonna go out there and win that one real quick and call it the call, okay. call the year good. Uh, yeah, big baller over here. <laughs> hey, I'm a shot caller, buddy. Hey, this is true. This is true. He's not. He's not joking. Okay, he's called his shots on social media. I have the screenshots to prove it because you said it on the show and then you did it. So he's hey, not wrong. Hey, I've always said more times than not. If I said I was gonna do something, I've done it. <laughs> we're we're to, we're we gonna do something with Mercer because he like try to remember what he, what exactly he said. But weren't we supposed to get him like a jersey or something like that? Yeah, he he called me the Johnny Manziel pro fishing before you I. You gotta buy him a Johnny Manziel jersey, dude. You're in the classic. <laughs> no, I'm not. I thought you were in the classic going to next no, year. No, shoot, dude. No, it's because I finished almost dead last in the last two. I fell out. Oh, well, I feel like an idiot. I thought you were in the classic coming up this year. No, sir. I missed it by right, well, eight points. Or, no, sorry, 27 points, about, I think, six places. All right. Well, beer on me next time for oh. letting that one slip. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. My bad. Well, either way, Jacob's social media is down below as well as Ben's social media and his YouTube channel if you're not checking that out. Um, and Ben, anything coming up that the folks know? I know you just released a new video today. Uh, I'm going north. Up? I'm going up north next weekend to finally get a couple days of fishing in consecutive. Um, so there'll be some cool videos coming, especially some fall time stuff. But no, man, just just fishing. Heck yeah. Awesome, my well, boys. I appreciate you guys always hopping on this show. I know it's definitely not going to be the last time that I bug you boys uh, to get on this show for an hour. But uh, always good to pick your brains and, and learn from you. I know I appreciate it, and I know so do all of the fans. So hey, appreciate we, you, boys. We appreciate you appreciating us. Yes. <laughs> all right, guys. You don't have to give it to me that good. I just screwed <laughs> up your <laughs> – <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Good gosh. All right, boys. I appreciate you guys. And uh, we'll talk to you here soon. We have a, a, actually for the folks, before we sign off, we have a cool episode coming up on Thursday. It's just not confirmed yet. So I don't want to tease it just yet until it's hundred percent. But next Tuesday night live, we got Carl Jacobson coming on the show. And then next Thursday, we're going to have a straight Demiki rig Mopin show with the man, uh, Jeff Gustafson. So the guy who's damn good at probably the best in the best, uh, Bassmaster elite series at a Demiki, you throwing a Demiki rig. That's the guy we're going to get on. Uh, it's going to be a fun couple of weeks of show. So make sure you guys tune in, but boys, as always appreciate you. We'll appreciate talk to you soon, buddy. Yep. See you, buddy. Right. See, see you, fellas. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.